0: Oh, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Engel.
1: And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we'll be looking at Minute 101, which begins with Ripley and her incinerator walking down the corridor and ends with Ripley peeking around the corner to see if the alien is still there. And it's a new week, and we are joined today by Aaron Hamer Beck, who is an instructor at the Kansas City Art Institute and curator of their film sofa series. Welcome, Aaron.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: We always start by asking our guests if they can remember the first time they saw Alien and whether there was any sort of an impression and and uh, whatever details that you can provide.
2: You know because I knew this question was coming, um, I tried desperately to figure out when I first saw this movie, and um, I had the opposite. Uh, reaction that John had. John, you know, you you talked about how you were um, kept from these movies. And my family, they didn't really care too much about what was playing. You know, if they wanted to watch a movie, like, that was what me and my brother did. And so I have this kind of ephemeral experience with Alien where I don't really remember the first time I saw it. I think, you know, my parents would have watched it when it was on TV and it wasn't really kept from us. So, you know, I don't I don't really have like that, you know, very specific time um where I remember watching it. And I was also kind of a weird kid. Like I I remember going to the library and picking out Amadeus and uh the commitments and the last emperor to watch like when I was really young so (laughs) I was interested in these kind of strange movies especially if they're like visually beautiful like alien I mean I remember in high school going back to alien um and taking a look at all of the gorgeous art and um you know the the uh the drawings and paintings that inspired it. Um, and so I remember revisiting it, but I don't remember a very like specific time that I saw it the first time. Well, when time. you
1: revisited it uh, and caught caught up to it again, what were, what were the things that struck you about it?
2: Definitely the alien ship and the space jockey. Um, I was so just taken by all those moments. And rewatching it in later years, I was struck by how truly frightening this scene is, where the alien comes out of um, out of his chest cavity. I I don't know why it's just because it's become so much a part of our our culture, like to the point where Spaceballs makes fun of it, and um, Family Guy, right. you know, all of these things, like they all make fun of Alien, or you know, they they comment on Alien. It lost its power a little bit. For me, but re watching it, I was r- surprised at how truly terrifying that scene is and how graphic and bloody and just delightful it is. Yeah, I,
1: I think that I remember hearing some story that um, Francis Coppola would always go into look at his um, rough cuts and would put his hands over his eyes and go, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. Okay, go. And so to engage with Alien try to put yourself in this place where, like, I've never seen this movie before, and then to watch it, yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing.
2: It really is. I mean, and the fact that that scene is shot, like, with, you know, full light and, you know, it's so white and it's so different from, like, the horror films that we see now, you know, where they're darkly lit or, you know, whatnot, but to have it just sort of exposed for us um, in, like, almost daylight, it's just, it's... It, shocking it's very shocking
0: i was just gonna say on the subject of watching a movie or rewatching a movie that you've seen so many times this Copal concept of trying to convince yourself you've never seen it before have you guys either of you guys ever shown alien to someone who'd never seen it before
1: i've shown it in class yeah and there's people in there who haven't seen it before and it didn't have the same effect that like I showed the descent last year and people were going out of their minds. I've never seen anything like it. I even asked some of the students afterwards, like, did you guys ever go see horror movies with a group of people? And most of them said no. So they, they missed out on that communal experience of being scared with a bunch of other folks. So it would be nice to find somebody who hasn't seen Alien and yeah. sit next to them in a dark room and watch what happens. Because that's my method of kind of
0: re-upping my, the freshness is I tap into my empathy with the person who's never seen it. Like, okay, I say, okay, I'm going to piggyback your experience and try to enjoy it on the level of, like, that's how I've seen movies. Certain movies I'll see in the theater like seven times because I'll be very excited about it. I'll go back and see it a couple times, and then I'll meet somebody who hasn't seen it, and I'll go, let's go, because I want to experience it for the yeah. first time again. You know, So that just occurred to me as you were talking about trying to see it through new eyes again or trying to see it for the first time again. That's the way I do it. and I can't think of a time... Actually yeah, I can now. Um you know, we used to have this little movie club some friends of mine uh and I and there was one guy who'd never seen any of the alien movies and we watched the first two. That's right. So, anyway, that's a that's a good way to get some fresh
1: eyes. Yeah, I think so. I think sitting with somebody who's that's why when you show your rough cut of your film or something or ask somebody to read your script, the instant they start to engage with it, even if you're not in the same room, you start thinking about, "Oh, Oh, no, I see it differently now. I see it the way I probably should have seen it. Shouldn't have done that or need to fix that. Yeah. You were talking, Aaron, before we started to record about these notions of of birth and uh, death and everything. And I, I think we should talk just a little bit about that before we start running down the corridors with, with Ripley.
2: Yeah, I, it just, it kind of occurred to me, I mean, just recently, because I just recently became a mother, I, I started to think about how birth and death are so closely linked with one another. I mean, there's they're not such diametrically opposite things. Um, as soon as I had my child, I became very aware of my own mortality, um, in a way that I'd never felt before. Because I mean, when you meet someone new, you know, they're relatively close to your age or, you know, it's not, it's not a brand new person. And, um, I was just so, aware of the fact that I really hope that this person lives at least 36 years longer than me. So like, all of a sudden I'm really thinking about that end. And I started to think like, in terms of Alien, like that's probably why these movies are so obsessed with birth and death, you know, the the in the first Alien movie, you know, the, the rape and birth of the new alien and then you know in Aliens you know we finally we see the queen laying the eggs Um, in Alien 3 you know the the quadrupedal aliens um, being birthed out of the dogs and then uh, obviously like in Alien Resurrection it's all about you know humans being a part of aliens and even Prometheus like for me the only compelling part of Prometheus is the abortion scene like when she aborts the alien like that's the only it's the only thing
1: I remember from the movie Except, exactly. La- except yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, I guess. I oh yes.
2: Lawrence of
0: Arabia. I, yeah, I remember. I remember that the character's name is David, <laughs> and he and he's fashioning himself after T. Lawrence, right? Or T. Lawrence. Yeah. T. Say T. Lawrence. Right? Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the most common comment about Prometheus is exactly what you just said. Yeah. That that scene is very memorable. <laughs> That's about it. I hear <laughs> that it. all the time. So you're about back Prometheus.
1: to this this birth. Because Death it's motif. Because mm-hmm.
0: yeah. it's yeah. It's the one part of the movie. Maybe I don't know. I shouldn't say it's the one part without rewatching it again. At some point. Maybe it's the only part that's really tapping into what the franchise has been about the whole time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe well, that's why people respond to it as
2: soon as yeah. Because as soon as she is pregnant, she knows that she is going to die like that, and so it's this perfect moment where all of these movies kind of like coalesce into this one moment where she is now pregnant she will die and it's a ticking time bomb same with ripley in the begin uh, at the end of three when she throws herself into the molten lava <laughs> the alien yeah. being born out of her
1: it does occur to me that when i think back on all of the people involved with this movie they're all men and i don't think there's anybody on the creative team unless i miss something uh, i think they're all male and so It makes me wonder, since you've just had a kid, (laughs) what was it like for nine months to feel like something's growing inside of you? You know, which is something that's completely alien to to the male experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, I feel like that's that's part of the horror of uh, of the film is that, you know, half of the people that see the film will never experience what that's actually like. Um, So. And it does feel very alien. I mean, you know, I thought it would be far more terrifying because having grown up watching Alien, you know, I thought I thought that it would be far more terrifying, but um, (laughs) it's not it's not nearly as much. But I mean, you know, the I.
1: I know that you cut your hair and I started to think about Rosemary's baby. And oh, yes. Whether, whether something was going on that we needed to talk about. Well,
2: isn't that so funny? Like, you know, the, the way that horror films um, really kind of grasp onto this this terrifying, you know, uh, unknown of, of... Have you seen the new previews for um, Anti-Birth? It's okay. going to be on IFC. It's drippy and crazy and like it's supposed to be like gorgeously uh grotesque and all of these things um like that movie possession
0: and is she like pregnant in the movie it's like rosemary's baby kind of thing
2: yes and they're not certain like how she got pregnant and you know there are these creepy like furries that are wandering around and um i mean it's trippy it's trippy (laughs) (laughs) what's it called check it out it's called anti-birth yeah it's gonna be on IFC. and by the time this is drops
1: It will probably have already been on. It probably will have already been on.
2: I'm afraid to watch it. I'll be honest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But 79, the year this came out, was also the year that The Brood came out. Mm. And uh, Kramer versus Kramer. So there are lots of different odd variations on themes of children and. Like
0: parenthood paranoia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit specifically about this minute. Yeah which in some ways is a repetition of what we've just been through in the last few minutes. I mean, it's really, she's retracing her steps and uh, the, the camera angles are not changing. I mean, the camera setups are basically running down the hall and running back the hall in the same setup. One of the things that I really noticed had to do with the editing and the fact that this first minute is comprised of only five shots and more or less five cuts, or maybe a couple extra cuts dropped in there. but. But very few. By the time we get to the end, we're going to be seeing a minute that's filled with, you know, 25, 30, 35 cuts. So that's an interesting strategy that's at work here as as she starts with this low dolly back, coming back with Ripley as she reaches that strobe zone where we've sort of been before. It's a pretty heroic shot of her.
0: One of the things I noted just in starting this minute right at this point, when she emerges from the latter way with the incinerator and starts down the hallway if you take her facial expression out, like her facial expression, she's still terrified. She's still, you know, she's very worried. She's not in her element. But if you just look at it, the way it's framed, the way she's standing, the way she's holding that weapon, the way the camera's pulling back with her, it's kind of your first hint at the Aliens version of Ripley, I think. I think this is another one of those moments where you're watching uh, the movie with James Cameron as he's watching it and taking notes and going, oh, I'm going to take this part. And then I'm going to blow it up to this, you know, and I think it's one of the first times you're really getting the badass superhero Ripley even hinted at. But then again, like I said, if you look at her face, that's not what she is here. You're just getting the hint of it from the composition. It might not have occurred to you had you not seen Aliens already or Scorny Weaver still holding the performance while Ridley Scott's sort of changing the dynamic a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you guys have talked about how um, you know Sigourney Weaver becomes the protagonist of the film, and and it's kind of surprising um, because you know we we think that Dallas is going to be the hero, you know, as typically the captain is, and you know I think I think it's so interesting because she's not this sort of brawny, brainless character that obviously the Marines portray in Aliens. she is the only one that, you know, says, Hey, let's not let this alien aboard. Like, let's quarantine this. You know, she's, she's really kind of the voice of reason. Um, constantly, you know, fighting with, uh, Brett and, um, Parker. and Parker, um, you know, <laughs> just dealing with their shenanigans and whatnot. And they know that they can kind of get her goat. And so I, uh, you know, she is very smart and, So it stands to reason that she would truly be horrified by this. I think that, you know, if she just sort of picked up the incinerator and was like, yeah, bring it on, you know, we, you know, like if, if this were played by a male character, I just don't know. um, It wouldn't continue this. This feeling of a horror film, um, because um, and I and I can't remember if it's in this exact minute, it might be in the next minute, but the um, the scene where she's sort of slowly, or actually no, it's before this um, when she sees the alien. Sorry.
1: Oh, the side eye. What John? Isn't that it, what John, John Ripley's side eye? Ripley's <laughs> side eye.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sliding down the the right. wall there. I mean, it just definitely reminds me kind of of Shelley Duvall in The Shining. You know, just this this complete and utter freak out, like her whole body is spasming. And fear and so you know to come back and kind of face the alien at this point the showdown because i think that when she comes down that corridor she's planning to see it again she doesn't know that it's aboard the the escape pod obviously so she's planning to you know do this big showdown with it
0: what you're saying is true she's she's smart and she's afraid which go hand in hand in this situation but she's also determined like she's she is a badass because she's just experienced this terrifying moment of going around the corner and seeing certain death and yet she's got to get to this place. So she's going to go and she's got this incinerator. Okay, I'm ready. She's prepared. She gets to that same corner. That's what probably is what's so good about replaying the scene again. She's returning to this place of terror, but she's going to do it. She's got to do it. And she comes to that corner and looks around and to her relief Unfortunately, almost, <laughs> if you think about it in the future. Unfortunately, the alien's not there. Well, unfortunately for her, it's somewhere that she'd rather it not be. But she's she's resolute. She's ready to go. But she's not bombastic about it. She's not... I don't know if you guys saw The Shallows. Did you guys see the movie The Shallows? No, Tom. I haven't seen it. It's a fairly good movie for the first two-thirds of the movie. She's afraid. She's out of her element. She's got this shark. I mean, if anyone out there doesn't know, it's Blake Lively stuck on a rock with a shark swimming around her she's got to try to get back to the beach which is within view and for the two thirds of the movie it's great it's relatable you it's a good performance and then there's a moment where literally the camera zooms in on her and she just basically goes fuck it and becomes this badass hero and so the third act is based on that and it fell apart for me i know a lot of people don't agree but at that point the movie fell all apart and that's something that could have happened right here Mm -hmm if James Cameron directed this movie, for instance. So we have this moment where she is being a badass, but she's being a badass because she has to be because in the same way that you and I would be if we were in this situation. But none of us are going to... You shove a clip into a gun and go, let's do this. Like you were saying, it's great. It's a good balance of performance is what I'm saying, and good direction as well.
2: Yeah, it shows more complexity of the performance as opposed to, yeah, the the sort of simple action hero Mm -hmm. response.
1: I really liked what you said about how um, the director is sort of helping her along just by this camera placement, and then she's doing what she's doing in terms of performance. And that's even further augmented in the next shot, which is... Uh, a fast approach to the ladder in the center of the corridor. It's it's on a dolly, so it's still locked down. It's not a crazy handheld shot, but it actually is going faster than Ripley's going. I don't know whether we read that as psychologically anticipatory. Mm -hmm. Like, she feels like she's going faster or whether the director is just kind of goosing the action along by making it go a little faster. It's a combination of both of those things, but it's definitely helping build this sense of approach. I wonder if it's
0: tapping into like, or anticipating the audience's feeling here too, and then making us feel a little bit terrified because maybe we got ahead of ourselves as an audience because surely your feeling is go, 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 go. It's a clock. We got a ticking clock. So maybe he's like, going go, 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 go. And then we get to that corner. We go, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't have gone so fast. And then Ripley, of course, is the smart one who's actually going at the pace that probably you need to go. Be careful. Come to this corner. Make sure you're all right to
1: go. For all of the precision and meticulousness that is part of the reputation of Ridley Scott, one of the things that's demonstrated again and again and again in his direction of this movie is an emotional approach to everything. Something that's less meticulous, less didactic, less uh, rigorous. I mean, he seems to be really interpreting. Um, once he started directing, once the, once the sets were up, once, wasn't there a story where he said, all right, we're lit. Let's go. And somebody had to come over to him and said, "Um, we need the actors. Yes. So, and so story. he's then kind of in that mindset in preparation, but it does feel like uh, even with a film like Black Hawk Down, that moves so quickly in terms of setups and shots and, And he's just, you know, he's just inside of the piece. It seems like when he's interpreting is when he's really at his best. And of course, you know, he always helps to have a good script
2: and a great set too yeah. you know he's not he i think that he has more of a uh, response to the fact that you know the alien is present and the set you know in and, and the lights and everything is right there i don't think that ridley scott does very well when he's got a blue screen film you know he just he can't feel it as well which i think maybe like yeah. our response to a lot of the fact that you know he. Like, if, yeah, once he gets in there and the the set is lit and, you know, he the, he's ready to go whether the actors are there or not, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you could probably say that about most directors. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think most just movies, An probably. era of film that we might be in right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's funny though, Mitch, you say, you talk about the good script. If we're going to critique Ridley Scott again for just a minute, um, he has no problem getting together the crew. Like he's, he's always going to be able to get the set designers. If he wanted to make a movie the old fashioned way, he certainly could get great set designers, get the best possible cast, get anything he wanted. It, it seems that his detriment is always that script. If it's not on, and, and you see that with a lot of different directors of his stature as well. Uh, Clint Eastwood or somebody like that. If that script isn't right on point, it's like, I don't know, it's like they can't quite translate. They can't quite make the adjustments or something. There's certain directors that just don't seem to have that in them. And maybe it's because he is, you know, I'm speculating about Ridley Scott's intentions, but he is more focused on the lighting in the set, even more so than the actors in that he's going to call action with an actor on the set. Maybe that's part of what's been the problem with his career over the years. But when you have a movie like Alien, which started with a great script and he picked
1: up on it, and he made great adjustments
0: to that script, so I might be wrong
1: about that. I mean, Thelma and Louise came out of nowhere, I remember, um, and who would have thought he would be the director who was going to make Thelma and Louise, but it was a really good script, and so he could really go to town with it.
0: Thelma and Louise is a great film that I constantly forget he directed. I'm, Me too. I do not think of it i know he directed it Mm -hmm. we talk about it for like three seconds i'll remember he directed it but right away i just think of thelma louise as being thelma louise and i don't think of it as a ridley scott film Mm
1: -hmm. that's interesting
0: that's me i mean i just i don't know it just doesn't seem like his which i think is a great as a testament to him actually yeah i think it it means it's because the movie stood on its own and he was able to direct it and he was able to take that great script and hold with it and make it into the film. And create that it was. really beautiful moments. I mean, yeah. it's
1: full of directorial flourishes that are really, True. really nice. True. Well, speaking of directorial flourishes, we've got another point of view shot after since we kind of talked about the stroby side eye space mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Um, you get this second point of view shot as she looks around the corner, and that's a handheld shot. Yeah. And so again, he's playing this this game of, you know, are we are we seeing it through the point of view of the character as we're going toward that ladder? It's all locked down. I don't know, but we do know for sure that we are seeing her point of view, classic shot, reverse shot, kind of, you know, her face, then she starts to look, then we see what she's seen, and then come back, and of course, the big reveal, uh, despite the tension generated by the handheld camera, and all the noise, and lights, and smoke, and sound, is the coast appears to be clear. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think we're now, after, you know, this entire movie of questioning point of view, you know, we're, we're finally right where... <laughs> We absolutely, there's no other choice here. If it's like right. handheld point of view shot, we know who it is. And that's not, you know, now we're totally in her shoes and it's a whew, moment when we look around this corner and that creepy ass alien doesn't pop up in a quick shot. Like it did in the last few minutes where we kind of, we talked about one of the most terrifying moments of the movie that nobody ever really talks about. It's not like iconic moment, but man,
1: I know so, it's glad so it doesn't happen again. It happens. Yeah, yeah. It's really scary. Um, So then we're back on just a closer shot on of, of Ripley's face. And we're sort of at the end of this minute. Um, does anybody have anything else they want to talk about with this one? No, No,
2: Um, I think I'm good. All
1: right. Well, before we sign off, I wanted to extend a special thank you to Christoph Nemeth, who was with us last week and who composed the tonalities that, uh, are part of our theme at the beginning of every episode. I feel like a complete idiot that I didn't mention it while we had him in the room, but thank you very much to Christoph and, uh, Yeah, big ups on those really cool sounds at the beginning of the show.
0: And I wanted to mention, as I always do, that we can be found at AlienMinute.com, on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod, or come over to our Facebook page, join in on the conversation. And uh, here's our weekly shout-out. Thanks, Star Wars Minute, for loaning us this format uh, to do this podcast. And uh, that does it for Minute 101. We'll see you tomorrow for 102.